Enter the Arena coaches women entrepreneurs on how to raise equity finance in the right way so that you can secure the money you need to grow whilst also building long-term value in your business. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown, the founder and CEO of Enter the Arena, a serial entrepreneur and an equity fundraising expert. Here, we share the fundraising stories of female founders who've successfully raised investment to inspire you to do the same. So, if you're looking to raise equity finance, you're in the right place. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Henley, the founder and COO of Next Up Comedy, a subscription video on demand company for live comedy. Sarah's been in the comedy industry for over a decade and founded Next Up with two friends three years ago. She has a two-year-old boy, Rudy, and is passionate about diversity and equality in the arts. Sarah's ultimate vision is to build Next Up into the worldwide home of live comedy. Now, in 2019, Sarah raised £760,000 in investment finance to grow the business from a blend of angel investors, VC, uh, VC venture capital funding, and crowdfunding. All about how she did it today. A welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. So, right, tell us all about Next Up Comedy. How did the whole idea come about and how does it work? Okay, well, essentially, it came about because um, some friends and I, who've all sort of been comedy enthusiasts for a very long time, we ran a live comedy night and a YouTube channel and wrote comedy. Um, we'd go up to the Edinburgh Fringe every year and we realised how often um, brilliant stand-up shows that won awards and got nominations would just end at the end of the Fringe. And so if people hadn't seen them up there, they wouldn't get to see them at all. And um, we thought that was a real shame and we wanted to do something about it. So we founded Next Up, which is a subscription video platform, a bit like Netflix, where people pay monthly or annually to access um, hundreds of hours of stand-up comedy specials. Um, it's great for fans because they get to see people they wouldn't see on normal broadcast platforms. We showcase a whole range of comedy talent and um, it's really good for the comics as well whose work would otherwise be lost and we split our revenues 50-50 with the comedians so it's a new revenue stream for them as well. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I, I remember you telling me actually, Sarah, that you, you have a lot of female comedians um, on the platform. What, tell me about that. Yeah, we, I, um, the comedy industry is notoriously male and white um, at the moment. Unfortunately, you look at any panel show and there's three, three men and a, a lady and we're really passionate at Next Up about changing that landscape and doing what we can to move the needle a bit towards equality. And um, yeah, the female comedians on the platform week on week perform better than the male comedians in, on the platform in terms of being in the top 10 watched shows. And um, that's despite being only 25% of the catalogue at the minute. So they're great. That's amazing. So the people who say women aren't funny are fundamentally completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's just wrong. <laughs> so, you're, so you're co-founder, so there's two guys and, and you, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, there's actually three guys and me. Um, one of them, Stuart Snaith, he um, doesn't work in the company on a daily basis, but he is also a co-founder. He used to be the director of comedy at BBC Worldwide, and he comes and gives advice and hooks us up with great contacts and stuff. But yeah, it's me, Kenny and Dan, day to day. Fantastic. So when you started this business, kind of what, what did you need 
from a funding perspective to get it off the ground? We needed essentially, luckily it's quite a lean business, it's all digital. So we needed money to get the tech infrastructure grow, going um, and film our first few shows and that was it really. So we did a really small seed round um, and the angel investment network were really helpful and they actually hooked us up with two angel investors who came on board at that really early stage um, and helped us get our sort of minimum viable product off the ground. Oh, that's really good to hear because uh, lots of people say that Angel Investment Network is that a good place to start. And did you get sort of quite good promotion from them as well to go out to their network of investors? Yeah, I think we did. I mean, we were so green. I didn't, we didn't know what we were doing at all. I'd never, I'd never done anything like that before. And I think they were really supportive and they helped us with the pitch deck. And yeah, I feel like we were very lucky as well. Well, I guess maybe... You're certainly something a bit different, aren't you, from the usual startup companies? I think that it kind of is an exciting proposition um, for people to look at. Yeah, it's fun. I think, yeah, we, need a, we all need a bit of fun at the minute. <laughs> you start off with a bit of seed funding and then in the sort of the, the rest of your three years so far, what other funding rounds have you had? It's bit, it has like each round seems to have been quite drawn out, um, but we've I think we've now done three we've now done three rounds. Um, so we did two really small seed rounds to just sort of keep keep us going, and the most recent one in 2019 um, was slightly bigger, and we operated that on a rolling close. So we took investment throughout the year, part partly from VCs, partly from angel investors who followed on, and um, also we did a crowd funding round. So that was our sort of most recent one. Okay, wow. So you have literally been consistently fundraising for months and months and months and months and months. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about why you chose to do it as a rolling close so you're over a long, long period of time. Because I think that's an interesting one for other people to hear about as opposed to doing it in a kind of a short, sharp, but bigger round. Yeah, it, that's, it's, a, it's a good question. And I'm not sure it was something we went into planning um it sort of happened that way where certain investors were like for example our vc firm has a fund and that has different dates for closing um so they need to raise their fund before they can invest in us so that that's very date specific for them and then also again it's some of the angels who are following on it's very dependent which tax year that's hitting and it's seis and eis um qualified so I think everyone's quite careful with when in the year they put their money in. So I guess that was the main reason. It was more to do with when the investors could invest as opposed to us going, well, we'd love to take it over to stretch it out for that long. Um, but it did work for us because it meant, you know, we'd have small chunks of money and we could budget that really well and, and plan. So we made it work, but yeah, it just happened that way really. That's quite interesting. And then in terms of managing the legals on that, did you, how did you do that? Because that sounds complicated. Yeah, we've, I mean, Dan, luckily, I'm quite removed from the legal side of things. I don't have to do that. Dan, our CEO, does most of it. But I am, a, I am what bear witness to his grumbling. <laughs> and I think it was quite a long drawn out process. We've got great lawyers and um, really good support and we're very optimistic people and we just knuckle down and do it. But yeah, I don't think it was fun. Yeah. But when you do that rolling close, so you're rolling over a, a long period of time, 
it's the same valuation for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So the, 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 the other way of doing it would be to do uh, one round maybe earlier in the year at a certain mm -hmm. valuation and then raise later at a higher valuation. Exactly. Okay, interesting. So a real blend of different types of investors. Yeah. So question for you. How did you find all of those investors? That's the, that's the first thing. Um, yeah, good question. Um, a real variety. So yeah, our initial investors came from the Angel Investment Network. We've also got some other angels who have come on via small sort of pitch events that we've done. Um, yeah, we, we tend to go to any pitch event we possibly can. Um, so how do, you, how, do you, how do you find those, um, not how do you discuss them, but how do you find the experience of um, pitch events? Um, it's really mixed. Some are great and really well organised and welcoming and set up well. And others, it feels like a bit more of a sort of, you don't know whether you're there really to get investment or for some other other reason, um, it feels a bit more like a networking event and most of the people that come up to you afterwards are trying to sell you something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really mixed. It's very male. Um, I'm always a bit of a novelty. <laughs> but you know, that can work in your favour sometimes, right? I think it does. I do think it does. Um, and yeah, and the nature of our business is always a bit novel as well. So I think we do stand out at those events, which is nice. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a mix. Sometimes you're allowed slides, sometimes you aren't. People tend to run over their allocated time. I think a good thing to do is really stick to your allocated time because I think the audience always really respect it and um, don't want all that waffle. But yeah, sometimes it's great and sometimes you just want to go home. <laughs> So Angel Investment Network, uh, pitch events, how else did you meet? Yeah, so in terms of the VCs, um, we've got one VC on board and they are great. They're actually a, bit, a little bit different from your average VC. They're really creative and they come from sort of very marketing producty background. And um, we met them by going to, I mean, Dan just rocked up at the wrong event, basically. He was meant to... <laughs> He, he turned up at an event where they were raising for their pot. So they were raising their fund um, and it was an accident. Uh, and he, they went around the table and talk, were, everyone was like, well, I have got, I'm a wealthy man and I've got this much money and I can invest this and this is what I like to invest in. And he just pitched next up and um, they came on board. So that was great. And it was just a happy, very happy accident. A bit of luck, but well, networking and a bit of luck, I guess. And who's the yeah. VC that you have on board? They're called Velocity. Um, yeah, they, they're really, really great. So a VC that fits with your kind of creative, the creative angle of what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. The other products they invest in are really creative and fun. And I think that's what they aim for their portfolio to look like. So yeah, they get it. And did you find um, the discussions you had with angels um, as opposed to venture capital firm different or very similar? I think it's, it's really varied actually because it depends where, what, where people are coming from. One of our investors actually who we found on LinkedIn who's brilliant, who'd written loads, Bruce Tookman, he's the former head of MGM Networks and AMC and um, yeah, we couldn't wish for a better, more brilliant fit for an investor and advisor. 
And he, for example, asked us a lot of questions about our comedy industry knowledge and entertainment. And that was where the discussion was and the future of subscription video. Some angels are more business focused and they want to know about the team and how long we've been working together and whether we can actually do anything. And then I think the VC firm, what was nice was it was very much about how they could support us and what we needed from them and gaps they saw on our team. Because obviously we're all passionate comedy fans, but none of us have done this before. So yeah, it's been a real mix, but I wouldn't say that there was a sort of specific thing the VC did that no one else did. And interesting that you got, you've got an investor on LinkedIn. And mm. was, that a cold, was that a cold outreach that you did? Sort of. He'd written lots of articles about the future of subscription video and how it was going to delineate in the same way that it did in the 1980s when like big channels like the BBC and CBS were flanked by sort of the history channel and, and specialist channels like MTV. And he was saying that he was seeing a, a repeat of that now where Netflix and Amazon are being flanked by these specialist channels like Shudder for horror, Hey You for reality and that sort of thing. And so there are a lot of um, articles he'd written as an expert. And so we approached him, I guess it was cold, but by saying we're one of these companies and we'd love to talk to you. So it wasn't like... That's brilliant. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can take that and apply that to their own rounds in terms of finding people who are in your industry, who are experts in what you do. Um, just by researching stuff online, it's amazing, isn't it, how you can find really great people and just approach them. Yeah, and I think if, if it's relevant and they're passionate, they, they will talk to you. Yeah. yeah, and whether, you know, they may or may not become an investor, but probably it's going to be an incredibly valuable conversation anyway, so. Exactly. Interesting. And then, and then crowdfunding. Yeah. Tell me about why you decided to go down the crowdfunding route as well as with those, the other two sources. I think as a consumer facing product, the benefit of crowdfunding is it gets you in front of a lot of people who um, then become your brand ambassadors. So it's unique in that um, people can invest £10 if they like your product, but they will, they will tell their friends about it and they will be proud of that and they will advocate for you and your product. And I think we've got a lot of members of Next Up who subscribe monthly, who love us and they're really passionate about comedy and what we do and the idea of being able to offer to them the opportunity to invest in the company and grow with us was really nice. So I think for us, it was very much about numbers and advocacy as well as the investment side of things. Um, yeah, I just think it's a really great opportunity for fans to be part of your company. And, di and did your fans respond well to that? You know, in terms of you went out to your database and told them about the investment opportunity. Yeah, they did. And that was what was really nice. Yeah, the comedy fans did, as did the comedians. Like quite a lot of the comics on the platform chipped in as well. So it feels like we've got a great family of people who all have a stake in us succeeding, which, yeah makes it a bit less lonely lovely, isn't it and also just great validation for you that's it so what do you what do you think um when you think about all those types of investors what were the key things that really hooked people into wanting to to back you i think for one the comedy industry is is notoriously quite guarded and um difficult to get into and actually bruce tookman the mgm amc guy he said that our special secret sauce 
was that um, we've got 10 years in the industry, each of us, plus way more for Stuart. And um, we, know, we know what's going on. We've got these trusted relationships that would be really hard to get if you just had lots of money and you wanted to come in. So I think our relationships and standing in the industry is great. Um, I think the fact we've all worked together as a team before um, really helped, especially in the early stages, because it showed that we could deliver something. And um, I think now the fact that we've done so much um, as such a young company, like we've partnered with Audible, we've sold shows to the BBC, um, Virgin Atlantic, you know, really big brands have got on board with what we're doing, as well as our sort of loyal membership with very little marketing, I think that traction appeals. So people go, oh, there's something there and get on board, I think. I mean, that's what's screaming to me about what you just said is, is so much about trust, isn't it? They can trust you. Mm. You're showing you're already doing it. They can trust your team because you've got great experience and great advisors on board. Yeah. Very powerful, isn't it? If they can trust you, it de-risks the opportunity and makes it very exciting. That's it. Because ultimately it's their money, you know, and they don't want to, yeah, they don't want to put that somewhere they don't actually will you. But secret sauce, that's brilliant. I think everybody should be thinking about that. Um, what is your secret sauce? It's, it's the, the way of your USP, I think, or unique selling sauce. But I think it goes, goes, it goes deep in that because it's not just about your product and your service, it's about what goes on behind the scenes. Mm. Interesting. And so when you were doing all the fundraising, I know there's kind of three, three strokes, four of you on the team. Did you divide up the work or were you leading it? How did you kind of go about doing that? I think it was in, it was mainly Dan and I. Um, yeah. So, and we div, we divide a lot of that up. He's an absolute whiz on decks and design and all of that side of things. So he tend to start things off. I would give feedback. Um, and then we'd, yeah, we tended to tackle it together. Um, with him probably bearing most of the burden, I'd say, and then me in the sort of more of a supporting role. But I definitely got sent off to pitch quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and did and how much of your time did it suck up? A lot, <laughs> a lot, yeah. I mean, it's it is time well spent because you need investment and you need those people behind you. But it's yeah, it's it can be frustrating because you want to do you want to do the company and not be raising money for the company so yeah it's a balancing act and what did you find it a very stressful experience hmm. no i felt i find like individual moments like pitches in big rooms with lots of people in them and public speaking and that sort of thing a challenge and so there's sort of pinch points and stress points but I didn't, I think maybe by virtue of us having a really nice founding team as opposed to me being my, by myself. Um, I think we definitely had, we're all in it together kind of attitude and celebrating the wins and giving each other feedback. I think the team really sort of rallied us through. So yeah, I think, and we, one of our company values is um, a sense of lighthearted perspective. And we know we're running a comedy company and, you know, there are far worse things going on in the world. So I think we all come in with a sort of sense of the fact that we know we're doing something really good and it's important to us, but nobody's dying. 
Yes, I mean, yeah, everyone has their bad days when they're fundraising, but if you can kind of, if you can kind of get some perspective and have a bit of a laugh about it, then exactly. Yeah. So keeping on smiling throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Um, anything you do differently? Do you think, Sarah? If you could go back and do it all again. I was chatting to Dan about this this morning, and um, something that would definitely have helped would have been to get. A re- it's work up front actually before you just suddenly open around so so you open around and then suddenly everyone's asking you for things and they ask for them in slightly different formats and slightly different ways in terms of like um decks presentations uh financial information all the due diligence stuff and i think what we'd have done is put together a data room electronically with everything that they could possibly ask for up front so that when those calls come in you can just go here's the link and it's quick and the and the work's already there um i think we found ourselves doing quite a bit of it retrospectively and being like oh shit we've got to do this one we've got to do that one and um it would have been much more helpful if we just had it in, in a library yes i agree i suppose if you've not done it before you don't necessarily know what they're going to ask you but exactly information in advance super helpful mm. um Okay, that's that's really helpful. And then, I mean, obviously, there's you know lots of um, great female founders listening to this podcast and and trying to figure out their own their own strategy and how they're going to attack it. Any particular advice you'd give to to others who are thinking about going out and raising investment? I guess I'd say it's the work's never done. Like, <laughs> I think if you if you can imagine that it's just going to be part of your life as opposed to, I think the trouble is it's, it's, um, it's a bit like parenting, for example, like it doesn't, it's not a job you can tick off your list. It's just ongoing and it keeps going and it doesn't really stop. And I think if you can come to terms with the fact that fundraising is part of your job, um, it will feel less of a, continual burden because you'll be like okay this is part of my job role and um i think it, yeah so i think it's the framing of it because there's always more you can do there's always other events you can go to more people you can meet linkedin searches you can do um there's obviously the crowd angle there's angel investors like it's a net it's a job in itself and it does feel quite continuous but if you can imagine that it is part of your actual job role as opposed to it being something that's getting in your way um, I think that's probably quite a helpful way to look at it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely brilliant advice, actually, Sarah. I think too many people see it as this, this hideous thing that they've got to get done and out of the way. Yeah. And, and don't think about it in the way that you've just framed it. But actually, I think, you know, getting the skills that you need to be able to just, just do it as part of your job. Mm. Well, next up is um, we're going into a growth phase. Now we've done this round. Um, the idea behind it was to raise some funding to, to get bigger, basically. So we know where our customers are and who they are. And so we're aiming to bring on board a load more subscribers and also a lot more content. So we're ramping up production and filming, um, which is really fun. We're looking at doing some original formats and different types of comedy um for the for the platform which is also really fun and creative and yeah we're going to we're going hard at, at growth for about a year i think before potentially 
looking at a series a round yeah well I, I love what you're doing i mean god there's nothing better than bringing laughter in people's lives right in a, especially in today's era with a lot of yeah terrible <laughs> news coming left right and center you know to actually be able to sit down and watch some live comedy how amazing and to take that to people you know into their living rooms not just having to go and, and watch it live i think that's amazing thank you yeah well i wish you all the best um thanks julia just posted and um, I'm sure you'll have no problem raising your next big round when it comes to it and everybody out there go and check it out next up yeah where can we where can we get it how do we get how do we get it I don't get this stuff. Get it. so it's nextupcomedy.com there's an app on Android iOS smart TVs that sort of thing so anywhere you'd look for Netflix you could probably find us yeah, brilliant well thank you Sarah and thank you Thank you. Bye. Thanks for following Fundraising Stories with Women Entrepreneurs. This content is all provided to you for free. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe to the full podcast so that you never miss another one. If you'd like professional support making sure your fundraising campaign is successful, here's what I want you to do. Head to entertheareena.co.uk forward slash apply and book your fundraising discovery session. We'll get on the phone and get you crystal clear on three things. One, how investors will perceive your business and your plan to make sure your offer and pitch is as strong as it possibly can be. Two, your ideal fundraising strategy and the investors that you should be speaking with. And three, your step-by-step -step action plan for making sure your fundraising campaign is a success. Remember, raising equity finance successfully doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make sure it happens. We've helped hundreds of women entrepreneurs on their journey to successful equity fundraising. Women who've raised six-figure sums in investment to scale their amazing businesses and make a real difference in the world. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to www.entertheareena.co.uk forward slash apply. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown and I look forward to talking with you soon.